theyeshiva.net. My guest speaker is known around the world simply as YY, Yitzhak one of America's premier Jewish thinkers and leaders. Rabbi Yitzhak Jacobson is one of the most sought-after speakers in the Jewish world today. He serves as a mentor to hundreds and thousands across the globe and is considered one of the most passionate and mesmerizing communicators of Torah for today's generation. During the coronavirus, I'm sorry, pandemic, he presented hundreds of classes and lectured, lectures to every demographic of the Jewish community worldwide, offering inspiration and perspective. His video clips of Chizuk went viral. I know, I saw a lot of them, and I loved them. Reaching millions. Rabbi Jacobson was the first rabbi ever to be invited by the Pentagon to deliver the religious keynote to the U.S. military, I'm sorry, to the U.S. military chief of chaplains and to the National Security Agency. That was... Look up that speech. That was the most incredible, as are all of his, but that one blew me away. Over the last 20 years, Rabbi Jacobson traveled to hundreds of communities, shuls, schools, yeshivas, and universities across the globe, educating and inspiring people of all backgrounds with the majestic depth of Torah and Yiddishkeit. Rabbi Jacobson founded and serves as the dean of theyeshiva.net, teaching via the web, one of the largest Torah classes in the world today, with thousands of students globally. Go on it. You'll, you'll find stuff that will blow your mind. Did I already say that? Born in 1972, Brooklyn, New York, Rabbi Jacobson grew up at the feet of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, absorbing his teachings and writings in 1988. At the age of 15, a young Jacobson began serving as on a small team of oral scribes and human tape recorders, literally. They were charged with memorizing and transcribing three to seven hours of talks by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which were presented on Shabbos and Jewish holidays when they couldn't be recorded. So, a master in soul talk and world-famous Jewish scholar and thinker, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Jacobson, will deliver an unforgettable talk that will leave you laughing, crying, and thinking. Rabbi Jacobson, take it away. There was a Jew I had the privilege of knowing when I was a child. He was already an elder man. His name was Reb Menachem Mendel Futafas. I remember when he would get an aliyah in shul, they would call him up, it was Rosh Hashanah. Ya mohoid Reb Menachem Mendel, Reb Menachem Mendel. And I asked my father, why does he have the same name like his father? I couldn't understand, and my father explained to me that his father passed away before he was born. So at the bris, they gave him the name of his father. This Jew, Reb Mendel Futafas, was a wise man. He had a lot of life experience. He helped forged passports to get Jews out of the Soviet Union. They caught him. They sent him to the Siberian Gulag for close to a decade. And in later years, when he already left the Soviet Union, 
he lived in England, he moved to Israel, and he would visit New York. He would often share stories of his experiences in the Siberian Gulag. And he said something fascinating. He said in his barrack, there was, there was a chevra, and they would play cards at night. They loved playing cards. There was one problem. It was illegal. You weren't allowed to play cards, and if you were caught playing cards, not only would they confiscate the cards, they would confiscate you know, the mail that you may, may have come to you with foods and gifts and a coat, but also they could put you in solitary confinement. And uh, if the warden was, the nachalnik, the one who was in charge on the prison, was in a particularly aggressive mood, he can have you whipped, beaten, and even shot. So, Reb Mendel said, it was top secret. They waited till, you know, the time to go to sleep, and then they would take out the cards, and they would play. He said, him, me, they trusted. They knew I'm a Jew, I mind my own business. <laughs> I'm not going to inform on them to the warden. And uh, he said, but there was something fascinating. The person in charge, the guard, the supervisor, who would come around at night, he smelled that there's a card game going on. And very often, he would barge into the barrack suddenly to do an inspection. But he never found the cards. He said, once, they're playing cards, Reb Mendel says. And indeed, the door bursts open, unexpected. And these guys were experts. And the cards are gone. And the man says, this time I'm not leaving till I find the cards. And he searches everywhere. Above every bed, planks of wood and below everybody's pockets, everybody's coats. Wherever there was a place there, he searched and searched and searched. He could not find the cards, that's it. Everybody was innocent, no proof of guilt. And the inspector left quite angry and resentful. Mendel turns to the head of the Hevra and he says, you have to explain to me, how do you do this? How do you guys do this? What's your secret? So the man says, listen, you I can trust, and I'll share it with you. And he tells Reb Mendel, when this inspector walks in, he does it routinely. I take the pile of cards. I get them all, you know, they pass them to me. And I put them in his pocket, in the inspector's pocket. He said, we are experts at this, to slip it in and slip it out without him feeling it and detecting it. Remendel says he searches everywhere. One place he doesn't search, his own pockets. He'd never think that the cards would be in his own pockets. When he's ready to go out, we slip it out and we play, we continue to play cards. Remendel would share the story with young boys, young yeshiva students. And he would say, in life we become experts on everybody around us. We search everybody's pockets. We do b'dikas chametz in everybody's homes and in everybody's hearts and in everybody's souls. We forget to search in our own pockets. He said, don't make the same mistake like this inspector in Siberia. And I think about this story tonight. 
as we address Geula Vision 2020. A year 2020, a year that will not be forgotten so fast by, I think, any one of us. A year that changed and transformed the trajectory, not just of a city or a community of a country, of the planet. 7.7 billion people were affected by the coronavirus. A year that will go down into the annals of history, of one that was transformative on many levels. How was it transformative? That's your choice and my choice. And 2020 does, I guess, intimate the fact that it is so important to cultivate 2020 vision on how to view our present reality, our present circumstances. But here is one of the greatest challenges. It's easy to complain about the world. It's easy to lament about the community. It's easy to talk about this one or that one, to complain about X, Y, Z, or complain about something else. What we don't realize is that the cards are in our own pockets, which means world transformation really begins with personal transformation. What I see out there depends to a significant degree what I see inside here. Rabbi Saul Salanta, the great founder of the Muslim movement, once said, when I was young, my ambition was to change the world. I got a little older and I said, forget the world, let me just transform my country. And then I got a little older and I said, eh, let me focus on my community. I got a little older and more mature and I said, you know what? I'll just change around my family. He says, now I'm an old man. And I realize the only person I can change is me can't change anybody else. It can only change me. And then he sighed and he added, but you know, if I would have realized this when I was young, by now I would have changed the world. And what Rabbi Yisrael, the great Rabbi Yisrael Salante was saying is, global transformation begins inside. Right here. Inside my attitude, my psyche, my brain, my consciousness, my emotions. And from there, It travels, it has a ripple effect on my loved ones, on my home, on my environment. The energy that I exude changes reality. My attitudes don't only affect me, they affect the energy, the ambience around me. And as in the butterfly effect, a butterfly flaps its wings in China and there's a tornado in the West. We used to think, it's an interesting idea, But isn't that what happened? Somebody sneezed in Wuhan and a few months later, 7.7 billion people were on lockdown. Gu'ula consciousness begins here. And when I can really work on myself and open myself up, broadening my horizons to the consciousness of Mashiach and redemption, everything changes. Because when I change the lenses, my perspective changes. So the world around me is different. And my attitudes towards those around me automatically creates a change of attitude in those around me towards me. Kamayim haponim leponim ashlema malach tells us. So what is this gula consciousness that we talk about? So I chose here one 
small text, a few paragraphs, that comes from Lakute Sichai's volume 10, Parshas Vayishlach Yat Kislev. And I want to learn it with you inside and elucidate some of these ideas and try to apply it to our lives. You have a text here that you can open up and follow along. Lakute Sichai's Chelekyud Vayishlach, page 54. You see, Seif Hey. It's part of a long discussion, but I am zooming in, in an era of zoom. I'm zooming in to one particular theme. Biur hadover. Let's explain. Geula consciousness. In the interaction and the relationship of the soul and the body, there are two different states of consciousness. Aleph number one. The soul does have an impact on the body. The body feels that it should be subservient to the neshama. The neshama has some form of authority and dominion over the body. But nonetheless, the body experiences itself as a distinct autonomous identity that for whatever reason ought to obey and be subservient to the neshama. That's one state of consciousness. Bez, there's another state of consciousness. A second state of consciousness is that the neshama's presence and reality and potency and infinite energy is so revealed, it's so manifested, that the body redefines itself. It doesn't experience itself as something distinct, independent, that has to become subservient and follow the dictates of the neshama. No, the body experiences itself as a conduit for the soul. And as he says in the next paragraph, I'm skipping the next paragraph, the one afterwards. Al-Derechzeh, What's the difference between these two states of consciousness? Both of them are wonderful. But one is more of a gola state of consciousness, even though it's very powerful. And one is a deeper geula or mashiach state of consciousness. In the first state, there is a dichotomy in my life. There is my spiritual dimension and my physical dimension. Hashem is in heaven and I am on earth. So yes, my body realizes that it should follow the desire, the dictates of the neshama. My body realizes that it's under the authority and dominion of Hashem. If I want reward in this world and the next world, if I want to do the right thing, I should be listening to the Boreyelim, to the creator of the world, and follow his directions, and follow his guidelines, and follow his blueprint. That's number one. But there's a much deeper level of consciousness, and that is one of Ein Eid Malvadai. There is no two domains. There is no dissonance. There is no dichotomy. There is no split. There is complete oneness. When my neshama, when my divine core is more manifest in my life, I realize that I'm not split between two entities. Everything is all an aspect of infinity. The Baal Shem Tov said, God is Alts, and Alts is God. Hashem is everything, and everything is Hashem. Which means, Hashem equals reality. It's not that Hashem exists in heaven, 
and we exist on earth, and Hashem is the ultimate boss. That's a gullus perception of reality. That's a more external perspective. When I'm just wearing physical lenses, I look at the world and I say, okay, there's a big world. Here I have a body, I have a lot of emotions, I have anxiety, I have stress, I have all this going on in my life and around me. And then Hashem tells me what to do, and I'm going to listen. Beautiful, gewaldic. But in a geula consciousness, when I have 20-20 vision, when the doors of perception are cleansed, Everything appears as is, an aspect of divine energy. Everything is being vivified and animated every single moment by the divine DNA. Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, Hamachadish Betuvoy, Becholyim Tabin Masibirch. Creation happens every single moment. So when I can cleanse my perspective, when I can develop a more transparent and deeper and more authentic vantage point of Geula, what happens? Geula is exile. Geula is putting the Aleph into Geula. It's the same word. Geula is exile. Geula is redemption. The difference is just an Aleph. Perspective. When I could see the oneness in everything, I'm not dichotomized anymore between a Guf and a Neshama, between Ruchnius and Gashmi, spirituality, physicality, heaven, earth, outer, inner, transcendent, and concrete. It's all one. It's all godliness. It's all Enoid Mulvadai. It's all perfect harmony. Everything that's going on within me is all an aspect of reality. God is not a reality. Hashem is reality. And everything is an aspect of reality. The question is how I see it. Even the tension that exists in me, even the anxiety that exists in me, even the stress that exists in me, even the unresolved issues that exist in me, I could see them from a Goyla perspective, I could see them from a Goula perspective. From a Goyla perspective, I'm just looking at the superficiality of it. This is traumatizing, this is disturbing, this is depressing, this gives me a headache, this makes me sugar. I want to get out of this. Granted, you're a normal person. Baruch Hashem, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. What's Gula perspective? I see the same world. I look at the same reality. But my vision, my inner vision is transformed. I see it as a catalyst for growth. I see it as a springboard for awareness. I realize that there is divine meaning and purpose here to bring out the deepest part of my life, to allow me to actualize my potential and to allow my soul to fulfill its shlichus in this world. There's no dichotomy anymore in my life. There's no part of me that's good and part of me that's bad. That's the gullus world. The gullus world where there's light and there's darkness and there's this eternal conflict. In the Gula consciousness, which means the consciousness where MS gets revealed, Enoid Malvade, Yoitzer Oir, Uvoire Choshech, Oise Shalom, Uvoire Es Hakoil. Everything is an aspect of the divine. Let's see further. Not the next paragraph, the one afterwards. What is the real consciousness of a Jew realizing that the very body, your very physical self, 
is a conduit for the soul. The neshama of a Jew, the nefesh elikis, is a chelik elikami mal mamish, which means your core is divine. It's a fragment of the shechina. It's an aspect of infinity. It's a spark of Hashem. It's kivayachel, a piece of Hashem Himself. Chelik elikami mal mamish, as the svarim say. What does the neshama want? The neshama wants dveikus, dveikus, dveikus. The neshama wants intimacy with the divine. The neshama wants to be one with one. The neshama wants to be what it is. What is it? It's chelik mina etzem. It's an aspect of divine oneness and love and infinity. But here's the question. How can a neshama give tzedakah to a poor person? How can a neshama feed a hungry person and give it a piece of bread or a hot soup or salad how can a neshama take physical money and give it to somebody or someone in need? How can a neshama light a physical candle to light Shabbos candles or Hanukkah candles or fix a mezuzah on the door or take flour and water and knead it and bake a challah and make a mitzvah for the separation of challah? How can a neshama engage in any physical activity of transforming the world? It can't. It needs a goof. It needs the body to facilitate it. In other words, from this perspective, what is the guf? The guf is just like the neshama. The guf is the one that experiences the dveikus within the material reality. It's not separate. There's no two worlds. You don't have a part of you that's heavenly and a part of you that's earthly, part of you that's transcendent and a part of you that's selfish, a part of you that is divine and a part of you that's animalistic. That's a limited perception. There's a deeper perception. The neshama and the guf are completely one. They're all part of enoid mulvadai. The guf, just like the neshama, is divine. The guf is the facilitator to be able to fulfill Ratzin Hashem in this world. That's the guf. That's what it really is. That is my guf. I don't have another guf. That is the truth of my physical self, my physical desires, my physical yearnings, my material cravings. What is their true essence? What is their true message? What is their true theme? I want to experience dveikas. In my life, in my physical life, I want to bring Hashem into every aspect of my home, every aspect of my life, every aspect of my world. This means, this is the understanding of what a Jew is. Who are you? What is your identity? You're a Beis HaMikdash. You're a Mishkan. The Torah says, Build for me a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. Ask the commentators. Grammatically it should have said, I will dwell in it. Not I will dwell in them. It's one Mikdash. In the singular, not in the, in the singular, not in the plural. The answer is, I will dwell among them in every Jewish heart, in every Jewish soul, in every Jewish body. In your brain and in your psyche and in your goof and in your imagination. So who am I? I'm a Beis HaMikdash. 
I'm a conduit for the Shekhinah to shine in this world through me. That's who I am. I am a part of infinity. I am a conduit. I'm a tzinar. I'm a channel. I'm a base hamikdash. I'm a dwelling place for the Ein Saif, for Hashem's oneness and infinity to shine in this world through me, through my soul, my nefesh alikis, which is a chelikalikama, and through my guf, which brings it out in the physical concrete world. There's no split in my life. That's who I really am. And he adds, Chazal tell us the whole Shir Hashirim about the relationship between Ani Ledoidi Vedoidili, the Chasen and the Kala is a metaphor for the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people because it's considered like a marriage between an Ish and an Ish, a man and a woman. The Gemara says in Gitin, page 77, Ayin Zion, what a woman acquires is acquired by her man, what, by her husband. What does this mean? It's not just, you may have a marriage in which the woman is happy, she agrees, if she, let's say, finds a metzia, to give it over to her husband, because she wants him to have it, she's happy about that. It's much deeper. The relationship is so powerful. The trust between them is so deep that automatically what is his is hers and what is hers is his. What does this mean? There are two types of relationships and each one is powerful and each one is wonderful. One is a gullus modality of a relationship and one is a gaula modality of a relationship. And again, the first one is not to be ridiculed in any way. It's pretty good and it's pretty powerful. And we all need state one before we get to state two. The first relationship is that a husband and a wife are married to each other and it's a marshal for Hashem and the Jewish people. And we realize we want to have shalom bias. We want to have peace and harmony in the home. And therefore, I should be doing what you ask of me and you should be doing what I ask of you. And you know what? That's good. I want to fulfill your will. You want to fulfill my will. There is mutual benefits. And that's the concept of the guf saying, I want to fulfill what the neshama wants. I want to be loyal to you. Hashem is, Hashem and the Jewish people are in a relationship. You have a chasen and a kala. And I say, I want to fulfill your will. But there's a much deeper state of the relationship. And that is, there's so much trust. There's so much loyalty on both sides. When a woman could really, really feel the deep dedication that her husband has to her, she, in turn, has that same dedication and sense of loyalty and oneness. So even though we're two separate people and we have to do sep- we have to be two separate people and we have two separate personalities, but it's not anymore a conflict of interest and a dichotomy. Okay, I have it, but now I'll give it up to you and I'll allow you to make the decision. is defining spiritually a much deeper state of consciousness where we experience ourselves as one because the trust is absolute. It's not about if it's about exploitation, why are we afraid of this relationship? Because we're afraid to be exploited. And that's why you need number one before number two, because if there's no absolute trust and dedication and loyalty, I can't allow myself to go to number two because I don't want to be abused. I'm very afraid. I'm very protective. The only time I could really let down my guards and allow myself to become completely one with you is when I feel that you're completely one with me. And it's the same exact case with with Hashem. The only time I could let down my guard and realize that Yiddishkeit is not about subservience only, 
But it's much deeper than that. It's about we're one. There's no other reality. Is when I can experience Hashem's infinity. When I can experience Hashem's infinite love and realize that I am divine and the divine is essentially my core. At my core, I'm invincible. You're invincible. You're wholesome. You're godly. You're confident. You're full of infinite potential and power. You're full of promise. You're full of possibility. You're full of confidence and simchas and stamina. There's no separateness. But for, for this, I have to be able to feel and experience the infinite love of Hashem. It's a beautiful story about the Heleke Kajnitz HaMagetz Chusayagin Aleinu. The Kajnitz HaMagetz, the Bistral of Kajnitz, a few days before he passed away, told his son, Ich bin scheinisht kein Gif. Nor neshama. He said in a, in a Polish Yiddish, I don't have a body anymore. I'm all soul. So his son takes his father's hand and he says, Tata, ich tap the gif. I feel your body. And he says, my son, the tapst mit gif fills the gif. The tools, the instruments you're using to feel me is with your own body. So what do you feel? You can just feel the goof. The Kajan Tzamaga didn't mean that he didn't have a physical body. Of course he did. What the Kajan Tzamaga says is, what do I see in the goof? It's all about my perspective. And how do I ascertain what I'm feeling? It's only based on the instruments I'm using to define reality. Because the instruments that you use to define reality will determine what reality you're going to be able to see. If I have a net and the holes in the net, each hole is 10 inches, it's not going to be able to catch fish that are smaller than 10 inches. Not because they don't exist, but because I don't have the tools to be able to catch these fish. In order to be able to ascertain certain levels of reality, you have to be able to cultivate the instruments, the tools, the perspective, the Ashkafas Oilam, to be able to determine it. The tapsmid goof fills the goof. What are you using in order to feel me? You're using your goof. So that's what you know about. For thousands of years, we didn't know that there's such a thing called a virus, or such a thing called fungi, such a thing called bacteria, bacteria, microscopic organisms. Cells, atoms. We didn't know why. We didn't have the tools. With my physical eyes, I don't see it. As science gets closer and closer, as history gets closer and closer to Mashiach, we start developing the tools to be able to see the underlying force in every single matter. Today we know that there's nothing dead. Even what we call dead is alive. Not with millions and not with billions and not with trillions and not with with sectillions and more of atoms moving around in perfect harmony. We look at a body, but inside, can we see that there's 70 trillion cells functioning in perfect symmetry and harmony? Within every cell, you have the genome, the DNA, the perfect sequence of programming that is really the blueprint for the entire living organism. When our senses, when our instruments will be developed yet more, and that's the function of Yiddishkeit, we'll be able to see the spiritual DNA in the universe. 
the spiritual DNA, which is the Dvar Hashem, the divine energy. Of course I have a guf, but what is my guf? My guf is just a concrete manifestation of godly energy, of divine energy. There is no dissonance in your life. There is no split in your life. The more I can embrace that, the more I can heal. The Torah of the Baal Shem Tev, the Torah that the Baal Shem Tev started to teach, which we call Chesidus, Pnimiyas Torah. And the Torah that was taught by his student, the Magid, the Magid of the Jewish, the Rebbe Rebbe, whose yard said is Yutas Kislev. And the Torah that was bequeathed by the Magid to all of his students, in all of the various branches of Chesidus, where they developed the Torah of the Baal Shem Tev, including the Balatanya, whose Chagagoli, he was liberated on Yutas Kislev. And he developed a system known as Chabad Chesedus, Chachma Binadas, because his purpose, his motto was to take these ideas and make them accessible so that people can appreciate them with their Chachma, with their Bina, with their Das. We can understand them, feel them, breathe them in, internalize them, make them part of our daily lives. This is the instruments to be able to look at the world with the lenses of infinity. To be able to see the world from the perspective of Geula, of Mashiach, of Aleph, Ein Oid Malvade, of Achtus Hashem. To be able to look at myself, to be able to look at my relationships, to be able to look at my children, my kinderlach. To be able to look at my struggles, my toxicity, my circumstances, my encounters, my daily relationships. Not with the lenses of Golos, but with the lenses of Geula. Expansiveness, infinity. Confidence, divine confidence. And that means, number one, I'm never a victim. Because I'm a piece of insight. Even if I went through some hard stuff, and I'm going through now difficult stuff, and there is pain, and there is anger, and there is frustration, and there is resentment, and I often feel like I'm a failure, and there is anxiety and toxicity, and it's bothering me. Wait, I got it. But don't you dare define yourself by those forces. You are a chelik mal, mashakon sa'ishakonabaila. You're one with Hashem always, always. And that means you are a representative of infinity in this world. You are invincible at your core. You are as good as it gets. You're perfect. You're wholesome. You're amazing. You're beautiful. You're gorgeous spiritually, emotionally, physically, psychologically. Why? Because you are Hashem in this world. That's who you are. Never define yourself by negativity and toxicity. Your eye can contain everything because your eye is a reflection of the divine eye. And then when you look at all of these challenges and all of these struggles, realize that deep, deep down, they are all giving you and me an opportunity to reveal light in all of these places. They are all waking me up to help me go to a much deeper place of unity and alignment. Now, I know it's sometimes easier said than done, and it's easier to preach than to practice. That's why I go back to Remendel Futafas, who said, I have to find the, I have to look in my own pockets, and that's where I will find the cards. And if I look in my own pocket, and I begin to do this process within myself, Day in, day out, from the moment I wake up in the morning, I turn to the master of the world and say, I want to operate on this gu'ula state of consciousness from a place of absolute oneness and harmony and empowerment. I'm not weak. I'm not a victim. I'm not surrendered to the craziness of life. I am all-powerful, not because my ego is big, because I am a conduit for Hashem. I am all-powerful because I am a shliach of Hashem. I am all-powerful because my eye is an aspect of Hashem's eye. 
Hashem wants to dwell in this world and I am the conduit. I am the facilitator. So therefore, I am the most powerful person in the world and I am the most humble person in the world. And not only are the two not mutually exclusive, but they actually one and the same. What makes you the most powerful person in the world is that you're the most humble person in the world. The Balshamtiv, the, the Magid, once wrote a letter to his son Rabavram. He said, "Aklena lechele in the guf is a grace lechele in the neshama. A small hole in your body is a large hole in your soul." And what he meant was, when you develop the right perspective on your guf, you realize that the need to treat my body with dignity is not a narcissistic material need. When you ask Hashem to help you out in what you need physically, the beautiful things you want in life for your body, for your home, for your children, for your family, for yourself, in the ultimate sense of the word, don't look at it anymore as a split life, as a dichotomized life. It's really the craving of your neshama to bring Hashem into your home, into your life, into your heart, into your body, into your soul. There's no split. It's all oneness. This is the gift that Torah gives to the Jewish people. This is the gift that Yiddishkeit gives to the Jewish people. It's the gift that the Baal Shem Tev so emphasized when he started to teach the teachings of Chassidus, which in one word came to teach a Jew that each and every one of us is an ambassador of infinity at every moment, an ambassador of love and light and hope and healing and wisdom, redemption. It's the gift of this special day of Yutas Kislev. When the Baal Hatanya, who was imprisoned because of his role as a teacher, of these teachings was emancipated and given the permission on earth because he was given the permission in heaven because nothing happens in earth without heaven to be able to elucidate and spread this consciousness of Gula, this consciousness of Enoid Mulvada, this consciousness of Achtos, of Oneness among all of our people and ultimately among the whole world because what is Mashiach? Mashiach is Malah Aretz Deir Sashem Kamayim Leomachasim Mashiach is not some weird future where, you know, suddenly things are going to start flying down from heaven over us. Mashiach is, our perception will open up and we'll just see reality. The world will be filled with divine awareness like the water covers the sea. We'll be able to see the world from Hashem's perspective and then we will see that we are all one. The whole world is one. The planet is one. The cosmos is one. Humanity is one. Of course, all the Jewish people are one. And maybe the hardest. I'll see that I'm also one. All the conflicts and the tension and the dichotomy and the split in me. It's all one. Don't be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid of any emotion. Don't be afraid of any thought. It's all there to invite you to a life of absolute oneness. To a life of Geula. In our own individual lives and in the whole world. Bimhei Rabbi Amenu. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson. As always, full of feeling, full of pathos, full of humor. As always, a runaway hit. Thank you very much. May Hashem bless you and your wonderful family for doing the incredible work that you do and for making the world a lighter and brighter place. Thank you very much. A grace in your
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.